So what exactly is essential? That question came up the other day. I was in a meeting. It was in a Zoom meeting with Bishop Bob from the conference office in Phoenix and several of uh, my other pastor colleagues. It was a check-in type meeting. We were just talking about how we were doing, what are the challenges are we facing, what hopes do we have, um, how are things going in the church, and uh, what kind of plans are we putting into place for the future, those types of things. I don't know how many times I heard the word essential, even from Bishop Bob himself. One of my colleagues asked him, actually, um, uh, well, how are things going at the conference office? How are you all deciding what to do? And as he was talking about different individuals coming into the conference office at different times, he did use the word, we're trying to figure out just exactly what's essential. And then we're setting up schedules so that none of us are in the office at the same time. And he was talking about a, a, a small part of the office where he and his administrative assistant have been working as well. So really, what is essential? We're going to hear now from the book of Acts, chapter 8. Wendy's going to share it with us. And uh, uh, we always appreciate hearing her voice as she shares the scripture with us this morning. Now those who were scattered went from place to place, proclaiming the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. The crowds, with one accord, listened eagerly to what was said by Philip, hearing and seeing the signs that he did for unclean spirits, crying with loud shrieks, came out of many who were possessed, and many others who were paralyzed or lame were cured. So there was great joy in that city. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you're reading? He replied, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a lamb, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his hum humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, About whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip 
baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Well, with many restaurants and salons and the like are beginning to open up in Yuma these days, we all know that. We're kind of, as we're getting back to doing business as usual, although we know it never will be as usual, we're trying to figure out what services are essential. I think it was yesterday or perhaps the day before at KYMA News, they interviewed some people downtown Yuma, and as you would bet, as you would guess, out of four people, two of them said, you know what, this is going way too fast. And two more, two other people said, you know what, um, this stuff is essential. These people need to be able to make a living. Uh, and one lady in particular, I was a little surprised. She said, we've been in lockdown way too long. Um, after all, open, uh, opening up for business or not, you and I are still going to have to decide if dining in our favorite eatery is worth the risk, aren't we? We'll all have to decide if our chances of infection are worth possibly infecting the vulnerable around us. So I guess once again we're faced with making choices about what's truly essential to us, personally. Actually, it was Mayor Nichols himself just the other day that said, you know, when, I, when you boil this all down, when we make choices about what's, what's, what's important, it's going to be personal responsibility. That's what he said on the news, and I, I like that. I think it really is important. Personal responsibility about what's truly essential. So as you and I wade through all the various sets of guidelines and requirements and CDC precautions and all these things, and as we throw in a huge dose of wisdom and common sense, how are you and I going to make wise choices about what's essential? You know, whether you know it or not, virtually every decision that you make, all the decisions that you and I make every day are founded on what is of utmost importance to us. They're all founded on what's going to be essential to us. It's fair to say that for most of us, the choices that we have each day in our lives, they've changed, haven't they? In other words, some of the choices that we used to have to make, the ones that were, that were before us each day, have significantly changed since we've been sheltered in in the last two months. So thinking about what's vitally important to me, what's essential, prompted me to look into what's called the Urban Dictionary. Now, you all have heard me uh, quote the Urban Dictionary before. Uh, you can get it online. It's uh, pretty easy. And um, I don't know, a lot of the... the, the definitions are kind of basic and they're kind of practical. I really like it. This is what the Urban Dictionary has to say about essential. It says, necessary and of the utmost importance. So the notion of what's vitally important makes me think also of what Wendy and I've been doing now every day. I mean, for several days. We're up, we're dressed by about 4.30 a.m. and we're out on the trail. Uh, the bike trail that runs along the canal. We're out there by 5.30 on our bicycles. 
We never really discussed it, but we kind of decided together that nothing is going to get in the way of our bike riding. We never said the word. We never used the word. But what we've decided is that getting on our bikes and getting this really good high-energy exercise every morning is essential. On another note, Wendy shared with me, we were sitting in our Lazy Boys the other day, and she had her her, her iPad open, and she was reading about a story of some full-time RVers who were chased out of an Arizona RV park. They were camping there back in April, and of course the park closed down, so they decided, what the heck, we're just going to head home to Idaho. So as they pulled into the southern tip of the state of Idaho, they pulled into an Elks Lodge only one day before the governor there had closed down the property. Why? You know the word's coming. They closed down that property because that place, the Elks Club, and clubs like it were deemed non-essential by the government policy. Interesting, though, uh, because the uh, focus, the crux of this article was that full-time RVers who don't have really a home other than the one, you know, on the wheels, the RV that they're living in, have had a tough time finding a place to live. Uh, they even said that in the midst of a lot of trips, they just find a quiet place on the side of the road and pull over. But this Elks Club parking lot was indeed essential to them. It was of utmost importance to their safety and to their health because they needed a safe place to rest before they hit again. The hit, excuse me, before they hit the road again. So what is essential anymore? And who says it's essential? What really is of utmost important? And is there a chance, maybe, that for you personally, in this COVID-19 world that we now live in, where someone has said where the, the uh, where indeed um, we, we're dealing now with a leveled playing field, as some are saying, is it fair to say that as the world slowly and then suddenly quickly changes around us, that what used to be essential and crucial and of utmost importance to us maybe has faded away? Is it possible that you what used to be so essential has now dissolved into the realm of maybe unimportance? You know, in today's scripture passage in the book of Acts, the early church again is unfolding. The early church is branching out into the world. Philip, Philip, we don't know that much about Philip, but he's mentioned uh, a few times, especially in the, the Gospel of John, as kind of a young, energetic missionary. He's intentionally reaches out to a very unlikely person. Now listen to this. This guy's an Egyptian eunuch who's trying to read. The eunuch is trying to understand and interpret the scriptures. How dare that guy? Who does that guy think he is? Doesn't he know who he is? Doesn't he know that a eunuch, being someone who served the royal court in this case, was more than someone who had his sexual abilities physically altered by some domestic operation here? Keep in mind that this eunuch, this that a person back then especially could, could be regarded as a eunuch for various reasons. But a eunuch, in this case, he is indeed a marginalized person. He was sexually indistinct. It's safe to say that they were not, eunuchs were not claimed by any social group. 
almost a non-person. So saying that they were an outsider, so to speak, was a real understatement. And with Philip's upbringing and his teaching, his his uh, uh, Torah teaching, he had many reasons to believe this eunuch was what has been said to be, quote, in a constant state of uncleanliness before God. This eunuch was a eunuch, no doubt, because of his, his job in the royal court, uh, dealing with the queen and with other women. But either way, uh, if you look, uh, especially in Leviticus chapter 5, Deuteronomy 23.1, you're going to see references there that would definitely have put this eunuch outside the church, outside any group. Uh, I believe uh, Deuteronomy says that anyone who's gone through this type of a, uh, of a, this type of an operation with their life, crushing their body, I believe is the way it put, uh, they, they are not in, they are not included in what's called the assembly, and in our case, the assembly of the church. Yet, this eunuch, in all of his travels, he had no doubt heard a lot about Jesus. He'd heard a lot about the movement of people who now follow him. And he's realized that this eunuch, he wants more. He wants much more in his life. He's heard about the people of the way, the people who follow Jesus. In fact, you and I should never miss that in the midst of this story, it is God, it is the power of the Holy Spirit who's leading this very strange, this very unlikely, this outcast person, this eunuch. It's the Holy Spirit leading this guy to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. And Philip, Philip in any case should ignore this very unclean Gentile, but Philip excitedly goes to him, baptizes him, and shares with him the good news about Jesus. Philip's actions here actually are counter they're opposite to what the Mosaic Law dictates in the book of Deuteronomy. Yet, excluding the eunuch from the new faith community in Jesus seemingly never crossed Philip's mind. Why not? Why not? Has, is it possible that what's essential in his life has changed? Is it possible that what used to be of utmost importance has changed? changed? So what's going on here? Is it possible that in the realm of the kingdom of God where grace, love, and acceptance of the other, the stranger, that it abounds? And with the world quickly changing around him as the options available to him are changing as well, Philip, the young missionary, of the gospel of Jesus, as the church of Acts branches out into the world, is it possible that Philip finally understood that things he once thought to be essential and vitally important were actually not important anymore? So in what way or ways has the understanding and practice of what is now vital to your existence now changed? Is it fair to say that what used to be essential to you may have faded away as well to the status of, quote, unimportant? I know it's possible. I know it's possible for you because it's happened to me. In this COVID-19 world that I've lived in for the last two months, 
And you know what kind of snuck up on me? I really didn't realize that what used to be important for me had changed. Now, I can tell you for me, the essential things that I think about in my church life have certainly changed. Shortly before the coronavirus was decreed by our president as a pandemic, on March 11th, I think it was, we were all talking about how the church decision makers were going to handle the decades-long hot-button issue of of human sexuality in the place of the church and whether or not in United Methodism that a person's choices in, in their human sexuality would include them or exclude them, not only from church leadership, ordination, but exclude them from the church altogether. That's really what was, was uh, the focus of so many of our conversations. Um, of course, it was last summer, the fall, and as many of you know, it's been going on since the 70s. But if you'd asked me in the life of the church, Pastor Mike, what's essential? I would have told you that it was these human, these, these uh, hot-button issues of human sexuality and whether or not they have a place in the church. Now, in a more pointed way, we were discussing on, you know, how are these changes on the big church level? How will those affect how we do church in Yuma, Arizona? But it's clear to me, my friends, that what used to be at the forefront of people's concerns has definitely taken a back seat. I know it has for me. It's that those same hot button issues and what they represent have seemingly become very unimportant. They have in my life anyway. Why? Because I think what many believe to be essential and of utmost importance has changed mightily in the face of the changing world around me. You know, these days our focus has been on, well, it's been on getting back together again, meeting as the church, meeting as the church as we know it. Um, At the same time, it uh, what's essential to, to me and certainly to our church leaders is protecting the most vulnerable among us as we decide how and when to open our church campus doors. Another thing, again, it's part and parcel of what we're talking about here. It's what's our new life of living out into the world as we social distance ourselves really going to look like? Give you an example. I got a friend who, uh, two friends actually, who own and operate restaurants in Yuma. They're they're waiting right now. One of them, uh, the furniture inside the restaurant, uh, it's not it's not built in or anything. So he's kind of waiting to see how the distancings of tables and the uh, cleaning and, and having enough employees stationed for hand sanitizer and all those types of things and masks. You know, you know the drill. He's trying to figure out how all that is going to work. Now, another person that I referred to a moment ago, um, she's got a different challenge because probably 85% of her seating is all built in. I mean, it's, it's booths. Those booths, uh, wooden, they're all built in and they're, I mean, built in and attached to the wall. So I'm not sure uh, how things are going to work out for her. I'm sure she has been asking herself as she wanders around her restaurant, hmm, just what is essential? And as I meet these CDC requirements and the requirements of the governor, How can I meet these requirements and still do the essential things in my restaurant? What is essential anymore, my friends? 
finally, especially as you and I get ready to get back into the world again, to get for the church to get back together again, and as we kind of retool and as we reset ourselves for whatever lies ahead, what's truly essential for you? What are those things in your life that you consider to be non-negotiable? What are those things now in the life that you and I live in? What are vital? What would you say are of utmost importance? You know, there's a couple things for sure. The choices that life now offers us, each of us, has changed. The options that you and I can choose from each day, they have changed. So it necessarily follows then, doesn't it? That what we used to think was essential could possibly have graduated to just rest now. To rest safely in the grace and the care of God. What is the chance that there are things that we used to just hold on to because of principles? These things that were just essential, these things that were just non-negotiable. Is there a chance that maybe, like Philip, I'm arguing that in Philip's case, he saw the world differently as he was caught up in the spirit and the love and the grace of God. He began to see the world differently. He began to understand that things that were non-negotiable were already handled, were already safely tucked into the arms of God. Oh, gracious God, join us. Or perhaps what I should be saying is guide us so that we can join you on the road, this road of Eastertide, this road of entering into a new and different world. Help us to carefully understand what some of these new choices are that we're going to have to make. And help us to use wisdom and grace and, and yeah, wisdom and grace. Wisdom and grace and your great love as we decide what is indeed essential in our lives this day. It's in the name of Christ our Lord that we pray. Amen and amen.